Well, it is a delight to be with you today. It's always a pleasure to come back to Brookhaven. Um, I'd like to take us to the Old Testament minor prophet of Nahum. If you're using the Bible in the rack in front of you, it's on page 930. This is a, uh, a book we don't often read. Um, it's at the very end of the Old Testament. It's at the end of Old Testament history. It's an ominous message. But it seems clear that if this God uh, invites us to come to Him, we, know, we, we need to know who it is to whom we're coming. We need to know what it is that He promises to us. And we need to know what's our confidence that what He promises is unshakably certain. The verse that we're going to look at is verse 7 of Nahum chapter 1, where the prophet says, this is printed in your bulletin, the Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. Before we think about that and unpack that, let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we look to You this morning. We recognize that apart from Your Holy Spirit, these words remain simply words printed on a page or words spoken by a man. But as Your Holy Spirit penetrates our hard hearts, our ungrateful, our complaining hearts, these words become alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and they're able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. So would you please show us who you are and remind us afresh of the confidence that is ours, that we belong, that we are safe in the arms of our beloved. And make us then men, of, men and women of courage, of joy, of expectation as we walk with you as we rely on Your goodness, on Your faithfulness, and as we trust You to do what You've promised. We ask You to do all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This book of Nahum, if you're looking at it, and I'd encourage you to keep it open because we're going to look at several parts of this first chapter. But this book of Nahum is rather ominous. It's a heavy book. It's what is introduced in the first verse, it's an oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. That word oracle in the Hebrew literally means the burden. That's how the King James Version translates it. It's, it's a heavy message. It's a message of condemnation. And that's really borne out throughout the rest of the book. It's a book that describes a sermon, a sermon that Jonah really wanted to preach about a hundred years earlier, but was forbidden to preach. You remember the story of Jonah, right? Jonah puts this book into context. He was the one to whom God says, go to Nineveh and preach my message to that city. And Jonah says, no way, I'm not doing it, because he was afraid that if he did preach any message, that God might have mercy on that city and forgive them and restrain his hand of judgment. And Jonah didn't want any part of that, so he fled the opposite direction. 
You know the story. He gets on a ship bound for Tarshish. Big storm comes up. They throw him into the water. A fish grabs him, and he's in the belly of the big fish three days, three nights. The fish bleach, uh, vomits him out on shore near Nineveh, where he was supposed to go in the first place. And Jonah begrudgingly goes and begins preaching to that city. The sermon is a very short one. <laughs> Just 40 days and God's going to wipe out the city. Conclusion, that's his sermon. And just as he feared, the people repented. And God did what God does when people repent. He took mercy on them. And He forgave them. And He spared them. And Jonah was furious. Another hundred years go by. And we get to Nahum. And this time God says, go to Nineveh and preach. And here's the sermon that I want you to preach. And the book of Nahum is the sermon against Nineveh. <clears throat> and it describes in painful detail all the destruction that was about to come about 20 years later to the city of Nineveh and to the Assyrian empire of which Nineveh was the capital. That's the backdrop to this passage. And you, you understand then that if the book of Nahum is such a vivid and, and um, detailed description of the destruction of Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire, you understand how shocking verse 7 is in that sermon. Because in the middle of all this destruction and devastation and this superpower of that ancient Near Eastern world being wiped out, in that sermon, Nahum says, the Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. And so, I want us to take apart that verse, look at its three phrases, and think about what difference does that make to you and me today in the 21st century? What difference does it make that these three declarations are true? The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. So first phrase, the Lord is good. We could spend the rest of this hour, we could spend the rest of our lives really unpacking that simple statement. Simple but profound. The Lord is good. You remember when Moses asked God to show him His glory. Show me who you really are. God's answer was, you go over here and I'm going to cause my goodness to pass in front of you. You want to know who I am? Let me show you my goodness, right? Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, talking about who God is, he said, the Lord is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken. And so when we cannot trace His hand, we trust His heart. What's His heart? He's so good that He's always kind to His people. He's so wise that He's never mistaken. 
And we can add a third couplet. He's so powerful that he's never inadequate. He's always just right. The Lord is good. Secondly, he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. The day of trouble, you know what that is. It's, it, it's what you experience in those places where you say, God, change this. Get me out of this. Do something. But it says he's a stronghold in that day of trouble. Why stronghold? Why, why that image? Well, we, we know very little about Nahum, the prophet. But we do know one thing. In verse 1 it says, An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. Nahum of Elkosh. That's about all we know. We know where he's from. Three years ago, I was uh, in Iraq working with several of our missionaries who are dealing with Yazidi refugees who suffered a massive genocide at the hands of ISIS fighters. And while I was there, the, the people we were working with said they wanted to go to this village about 25 miles north of Mosul. You may know that Mosul was a city that was the headquarters for most of the ISIS fighters. 25 miles north of Mosul, oh, I should say this, Mosul is what was ancient Nineveh. The ruins of ancient Nineveh are right there in the modern city of Mosul, and Mosul is the second largest city in Iraq, second after Baghdad. And so 25 miles north of there is this village. It's one of the most um, frequently traveled villages for Jewish people on pilgrimage, people of a Jewish descent. Uh, to get there, you drive this winding road that goes up the mountains, and we drove in this little car packed in there up this winding road, and I took pictures from the top. You, you can't appreciate it unless you see the photos, but it's a serpentine road going back and forth all the way up the mountain. When the car can't go any farther, you get out and you walk this trail that gets steeper and steeper, and when the trail runs out, there are stone steps carved into the cliff face. And the whole time you're going up, you're looking to this cliff, and there are holes in this cliff. And finally, at the top of one of these sets of stairs, you go up through a hole in the cliff, and you find yourself inside a stone fortress. And it's absolutely an impregnable fortress. You can't, you can't be attacked once you're in there because it's only one set of stairs that goes up, and it's sheer. No army ever was able to take this fortress. It was a stronghold cut inside this rock, and it was massive. Uh, there was food stored there over the centuries. There was water uh, in that fortress. It was an impregnable place where you'd be absolutely secure from any invading army. Do you know why it was one of the primary places of pilgrimage for Jewish followers of Yahweh? because the name is Al-Kosh. The English sign beneath the Arabic was A-L-Q-O-S-H as we drove up to this village. And in the middle of this village is a synagogue that's been preserved over the centuries because this is where Nahum the prophet is buried. 
Why do I tell you that story? Very simply this. The belief is that Nahum, Nahum's family was deported when the northern ten tribes of Israel were, were defeated and taken into captivity. This would have been 722 B.C. And Nahum's family was settled in one of the villages near Nineveh because it was the Assyrians that destroyed Israel. And so right there, 25 miles north of Nineveh is this small town today called Alkosh. In the book of Nahum, it's Elkosh. But right there, Nahum is buried. The belief is he grew up with his eyes looking up at that fortress. And whenever an invading army came into that part of Assyria, for the centuries that followed, the people would go up into that fortress and they would be kept secure. And so when Nahum wanted to talk about who his God was and what kind of a God he was to Nahum and the people who would follow, he would say, our God is good. He is a stronghold like that place there. A place where you are kept absolutely secure. A place where nothing touches you because you are secure, you are safe, and you are kept. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. What does it mean that He knows those who take refuge in Him? I mean, on one hand, I, I could say to you that I know the mayor of Jackson, Mayor Lumumba. And you would say, what do you mean you know him? Well, I, I met him in a coffee shop once and we talked about Jackson and the troubles it's having and I told him that I was praying for him. And I know the mayor, right? And you would say, you don't know the mayor. You met him once, but that's about it. So when the prophet says, he, God, knows those who take refuge in him, what does he mean? Well, I can think of several things that grow out of this passage and the rest of Scripture that define what it is that God knows. One, it's a knowing of intimacy. I'll give you a couple words that start with the letter I. It's a knowing of intimacy. He knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows who your daddy was. He knows your kids. He knows your social media presence. He knows what you're worried about. He knows uh, what you're building. He knows what you're thinking about. He knows what you're afraid of. He knows the things that make you feel guilt or shame. He knows the number of hairs on your head. But not just with an impassionate indifference, but it's a knowing of intimacy, a knowing of passionate loving care. It's what Peter says when he says in 1 Peter 5, cast all your anxiety, anxiety on Him because He cares for you. It's a knowing of intimacy. An intimate concern. Secondly, it's a knowing of implication. Meaning, when you're in a very difficult place, your mind immediately goes to, here are all the implications of what this situation means. 
in the darkest chapter of my life, when my wife at that time was diagnosed with cancer, and a couple of days later, after tests and biopsies and explorations and meetings, a diagnosis came back, glioblastoma multiforma, a, a death sentence kind of cancer that no one's ever lived with. My first response was, God, don't you understand what this means? <laughs> this means I'm going to be a widower. This means my, my kids are going to be raised by a single parent. God, don't you know I can't be a pastor and raise kids who are under four at the same time? God, don't you know what this means? It's what the disciples said to Jesus when they were in the boat in the middle of the night, Mark chapter 4, Jesus is asleep, and there's this hurricane blowing. And the waves are crashing into the boat, and they wake up Jesus, and they say, Teacher, don't you care? Don't you know? Don't you care? Don't you see that if you don't do anything, we're dead here? And our God smiles and says, of course I know. Not only do I know what you're experiencing, but I know all the implications of what you're experiencing. I know the implications you not, you've not even thought of yet. The psalmist in Psalm 139 says, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. He knows us. Not just the details, but all the implications. Those that we've thought of, those that have not even yet occurred to us. It's a knowing of intimacy. It's a knowing of implication. It's also a knowing of intentionality. God knows us with a purpose. It's what the prophet Jeremiah records God saying. Jeremiah 29.11, he says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Most people stop there without realizing that the very next verse says, plans that will lead you to call upon me and seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He knows those who take refuge in Him. Even Job, in the worst day of trouble imaginable, after losing everything, and his friends come to encourage him, but actually they make his situation even worse. Job says in Job 23, verse 8, he says, I look to the left, but I don't see him. I look to the right, but I can't find him. I look all around me, but I don't see any evidence of God working anywhere around him. But, but he knows the way that I take. And when I've been tested, I will come forth as gold. He knows us with intentionality. It's not just this hard stuff that's happening. Man, He's got a design. He's got a purpose. He's going to take the hard that you and I right now are pleading with Him to deliver us from. And He's going to use those very things to shape us and to make Jesus more and more precious to us. He knows those who take refuge in Him. It's a knowing of intimacy. 
It's a knowing of implication. It's a knowing of intentionality. And maybe the most significant way to think about this knowing is to think about the opposite, the inverse of what this means. Remember at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching these crowds and He comes to the end in uh, Matthew 7, verse 22. And He says, On that last day, many will say to Me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and cast out demons in Your name and do many mighty works in Your name? Then I will declare to them plainly, Depart from Me. I never knew You. Look, I, I, I cannot think of any more terrifying word to hear from my King at the end of it all than that phrase. I never knew you. Yeah, you might have been at church. <laughs> you might have preached. You might have taught Sunday school. You might have done all kinds of really good work but I never knew you. That's terrifying. Which is why what is here <laughs> is so beautiful and rich. He says, He knows those who take refuge in Him. That's our greatest security at the end of the day, isn't it? He knows us. And He receives us. And He delights in us with rejoicing. Even with singing, He knows those who take refuge in Him. Here's the question though. Ready? How do we know for sure? I mean, how can we be certain that this is rock solid, absolutely certain? Well, according to Nahum, you look for something. I mean, it's at the very end of chapter 1 where he says, Behold, verse 15, Behold upon the mountains the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace. You may be thinking, what does that have to do with being certain? Well, answer... Nahum lived about 650 years before Christ was born. And Nahum was looking forward to the feet about which even the prophet Isaiah had prophesied. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news. It's the one of whom the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 10. How beautiful are the feet of the one who brings good news. Nahum was looking for the feet on the mountains who would bring the good news, the best news. Not realizing that they would be nail-pierced feet. Because the good news came through Jesus Himself. And it was His feet that were nail-pierced. It was His hands that were nail pierced. Therein lies the confidence that this is unshakably certain. 
The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 8, verse 32. He who spared not His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, freely, graciously give us all things? The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He's a stronghold in your day of trouble. Whatever it is today. He knows those who take refuge in Him. The question for you is, is He your refuge? Is He the one to whom you turn when you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't fall asleep because your heart is pounding and your mind is racing? Is He the one in whom you take refuge? Is He the one to whom you say, Lord, You are good. You are my stronghold in this day of trouble. And You know me. You know me intimately. You know with intention what You're seeking to accomplish. You know the implications of every part of what's taking place here. And You know me. And You assure me of my belonging to You. Is that your confidence? Let's pray together. Our Father, would you please build your word deep into our heart. Cause your promise to resonate today and throughout every day of our lives. That your goodness is unshakable. You've proven it through the cross by not sparing your precious Son the One in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Remind us again, over and over again, of Your goodness, of Your faithfulness. Remind us that we can run to You with everything that weighs us down. And then fill our hearts with joy, a joyful expectation that You will fulfill Your good promise that you'll finish the good work you've begun in our hearts because of Jesus. And in our belonging to Him, remind us that you rejoice over us with singing, that you will not fumble your children, but you will complete your good work in each of our lives, and you'll gather us up in your arms and you'll tend us like the good shepherd you are. We ask all this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.